Yes. Today, I am thrilled to be speaking with the founder of one of my absolute favorite clean beauty brands, a line that has allowed me to finally use makeup that I feel is as beautiful aesthetically as it is formulaically. Kirsten is the founder of her namesake label, Kia Vice, which is an organic, conscious, and refillable makeup line. After many years working as a professional makeup artist, Kirsten realized the detrimental effects of what she was putting on models' skin and determined to build a natural beauty line that would provide the same results without the chemical hazards. Kirsten is such a lovely soul, and I'm so excited to get to share this conversation with you guys today. And most importantly, I really hope this inspires you to think about the products you are applying on the day-to-day -day and how there might be a better option out there for us all. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Kirsten. So I am thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, you know, and I hope you're doing okay in, in quarantine and all these things. I am, and thank you so much for having me on. I've really been looking forward to this. Uh, it's an honor, thank you. Great, well look, I'm so excited to dive in. And you know, to kick things off, I would love to have you just tell us a bit about your background really. I know you grew up in Denmark, but now live in New York. So if you could give us just a brief history of your upbringing, I, I always feel like there's a really interesting connection to our younger years that speaks to where we end up. Um, so did your childhood growing up on a farm in Denmark sort of speak to the woman you've become, do you think? I think it did. Um, uh, to your point, I grew up uh, on what I actually didn't quite realize at the time, but I would call it an, you know, an organic farm, a working farm uh, in rural Denmark in, in a very down-to-earth kind of way. You know, I am the sixth child out of, of six kids. So just lots of kids, uh, lots of animals and, and helping out. Uh, on the farm, that was just uh, an expectation, and it was a, a natural way for for us to operate. Um, and so, I think with that as a background, you know, it forms you. Even though at the time, I would say that my dream was uh, about anything creative. It was anything that really didn't necessarily happen on the farm. It was the aspiration you know to go to museums art galleries that started out pretty early on in in my formative years i think that has just always been a bug within me uh, anything creative and artistic but in retrospect um sort of looking back and doing what i do now i do think that it's painted uh, a strong picture of who I am today, you know, like an affinity for nature uh, that has just been installed from an early age. And that sort of translates into an affinity for nature's bounty, if you will, and untouched uh, produce, et cetera, et cetera. Just the, the, the beautiful things that you find in nature from the garden that my mom, you know, was uh, cultivating, I think a lot of that is, uh, you know, the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing today. Yeah, it's so funny because I feel like so often now when we're looking at sustainable solutions to all these problems we've got, it's like, just look at back at how things were done because we were living sustainably without realizing it even, you know, 50 years ago. Um, and so much has changed in such a short period of time. And I know we can get more into that, but you know, 
so to kind of speak about how your journey really started so you're you're growing up in Denmark you're on this idyllic farm but you end up as a makeup artist so how did how did that sort of evolve for you I mean that I had never seen coming to tell you the truth because my mom was very minimalist when it came to makeup and she really was I would say uh, the only person and my sister potentially but none of them really wore makeup and so I had always thought I would end up uh, in something to do with maybe architecture, interior design, et cetera. But after finishing college, I was so eager to go travel the world. Um, and I moved to Paris, I moved to the US for a year and a half, uh, just working as a nanny and, and random jobs. And on my return, when it was really time for me to start on a further education, I had just caught the travel bug, if you will. You know, I didn't really see myself sitting down for six years to become an architect. Um, and so, you know how things sometimes involve in your life, your path will start taking over. Uh, and so I met a, a person in Copenhagen um, that became a transformative person in my life. She owned a spa. And I found her, you know, incredibly inspiring. And she offered an apprentices, um, an apprentice, is that what you call apprentices? Yes, yes, forgive me. And, um, and so I joined uh, that and I joined her spa basically for a year, learning about skin, which is also why I have such an affinity for perfecting skin and foundation uh, and, and the importance of that in, an, in, a, in a makeup look. But she took a liking to the way I did makeup and eventually suggested I should go to a makeup school in Paris called Crescent Chevaux, which I did. And then the rest is history, I guess. You know, I went down there for a year. I loved it. Uh, it's, it's a way of being creative. It's like painting, but it's just on a face. And so that's in broad strokes what really got me on uh, the path of, of cosmetics and beauty where I am today. Yeah, it, it's funny how, you know, my mom, whenever I'm having a moment of crisis, she always says to me, the path will open up before you. And it's, yeah. <laughs> it's funny because that has certainly yes. been the case. Um, and, you know, and so from sort of going into being a makeup artist, I know that you did that for, for quite a few years. So when did this sort of journey into clean beauty or this realization that something was wrong with the way that things were going or the conventional makeup you were using, you know, was there like a turning point for you or did it come gradually, you know, was like, how did, how did this happen? This, this passion? Yes, it did uh, happen gradually. You know, as a makeup artist, you put together your own kit of your preferred brands. Uh, you might prefer the foundation from one brand, the lipsticks, eyeshadows from others. And so that's really, you know, the, the standard. As a makeup artist, you have your kit, you show up at work, you put out all your stuff and you start working on whoever is in front of you on that particular day. And I did that for many years and I had put together my preferred products. But what I started to see was a lot of the models specifically that I was working on, because you know, I ended up working in fashion mainly. Um, 
was they just, they, they frankly had a lot of issues with their skin. Now, mind you, as a model, you do wear an enormous amount of makeup because that's just part of your job. Um, but at the end of the day, I saw, you know, with my own eyes firsthand, the irritations, the red eyes, the, uh, the redness, the dry skin, the breakouts, etc. And it turned into, you know, as the years progressed, a lot of these models would now start bringing some of their own products, meaning products that they knew they wouldn't break out from. And so looking at this and seeing the short-term effects, I just started to question it, you know, thinking this is absurdly normal. You know, this is really considered absurdly normal. And how can that be considered so normal when we would naturally push back if we purchase something, let's say food, where we had all these allergic reactions. Yet as somehow in cosmetics, it's, it was just a normal thing to buy something, realize I'm allergic to it, put it aside and move on. Yeah. And, and that became in many ways uh, an, an aha moment. And I started looking into replacing a lot of the conventional brands that I had in my kit, because it was all conventional brands, looking to see what I can find in the natural space. And now this is late 90s, around 2000. So frankly, there wasn't a lot, you know, like there were some of the beautiful German brands that we still see today. The Germans have always been ahead of, of, of anybody else really in, in green. Yeah. Um, but Dr. Hauschka, La Vera, <clears throat> excuse me, those brands, yeah. But I just didn't think that the products they had at the time certainly were up to par in terms of performance. And so um, that I would say became where the, uh, the realization of there's really a gap in the market. If you could take these two worlds that had always lived side by side, you had the conventional with, in my point of view, a questionable ingredients list, but you had the high performance and you had the luxury experience and you tie that in with the best of the green space, which was in my point of view, again, the ingredients profile, but you would had a questionable performance and, and certainly it wasn't tied into luxury. But taking the best of these two worlds, combining it into one, then you could in essence start a new category where you left out all compromises. So that became the goal. That became the proposition for, for starting CareWise. You know, it's so funny because I remember, I feel really lucky. Like when I was growing up, I always thought that my mom was such a hippie, but now I'm so thankful yeah. that she was because yes. I remember when I was like 13 or 14 and you know, I started getting a little bit of acne and I, like, you know, any other teenage girl went to the store with my friends and I came home with a ton of conventional, like, foundation, concealer, powder, you know, and my mom took everything away from me and said, it will only make your skin worse. She was like, really? the ingredients in that will only make your skin worse. Just treat your breakouts with, you know, a little bit of, she used to give me tea tree oil that she would then kind of mix with coconut oil and stuff like that. And she was like, keep this off your skin. And I've got to say, I'm so thankful because I've never had issues with my skin. And I swear to God, it's just because I never put anything on it. And that's only because she was so forceful with me that she was like, don't put this stuff on your skin. You don't know what's in it, you know? And, and it's not to say that, that we shouldn't be putting foundation or concealer on, but conventionally 
you know, I remember seeing friends that used it for so long that they cannot now go without foundation because their skin is so inflamed that it's like they're building upon the inflammation with more product that's probably inflaming the skin. Yes. Yeah, I mean, your mom, she sounds like she's just really ahead of her time or understanding that uh, the body, you know, is, is a holistic experience as well. You know, that um, I would say it, it even starts, you know, with the food you eat, with the enough sleep that you get. And then by adding on um, beautiful natural ingredients, you assist the whole um, holistic experience. And that includes your skin, your face, and yeah. not being irritated, um, and, and clogging your pores, you know, all these things that um, I think to your point, you know, just gets aggravated by a lot of synthetics uh, on the skin. So yeah. and that's kudos to your mom. <laughs> like I said, she was a total hippie and it used to embarrass yeah. me. Now I'm like, oh my God, you know, I look up to her so much, but you know, it must be hard having teenage daughters. I don't have one. Yes. <laughs> but I, you know, so I think that, that, leads me really nicely into my next question, which is to just talk a little bit more about some of these ingredients that you think are particularly troublesome and, you know, something to look out for because I feel, I feel as though when you go and you're looking at makeup, there are so many ingredients on the back of a package. And actually that's terrifying in of itself that there are just so many ingredients, but what are sort of some of the ones that that to you stood out as, you know, this isn't something that we should be putting on our skin every day, particularly. Right. I mean, I have, have always um, looked at, for instance, parabens, you know, like I know there's obviously different opinions about that, but parabens stands out to me as something that shouldn't go out, shouldn't go on the skin. Um, there is, you know, PEG, which is uh, a thickener that goes into cosmetics. I think, um, you know, synthetic fragrance, uh, synthetic, just in, in terms of the irritation on the skin. Um, some of the lighter ones, you know, I, I'm not necessarily saying that a silicone um, has a long-term health effect. I don't know that for sure, but I have always felt that silicone on the skin would clog the pores and, and it has this bizarre sort of finish to it that doesn't penetrate the skin. It, it kind of descends top level and you never, um, and it's used in everything. We're so used to silicones, you know, but yeah, like silicone, what's it in? Like, where do you find silicones for somebody who just doesn't know, you know? I would say pretty much in everything, in lipsticks, you know, like the way you get the perfect slip in anything, whether it's a cream blush, whether it's a lipstick, you know, like a lipstick that will sit in any temperature. Uh, whether it's been sitting overnight in a cold environment during winter, it still goes on with the perfect slip. That's a silicone. Uh, same thing for a cream blush. You know, I would say what you, you will find it in shampoos, you will find it in lotions. Uh, it's just an easy ingredient to include to never have to worry about the texture 
Um, and so, yeah, those are some of um, the highlights. Um, you know, like there's certainly, you could talk about lead, uh, but most companies have taken that out of their products. You know, there's obviously over the past 10 years since I launched, there's been a lot of soul searching, I think, with, uh, you know, with a lot of companies. So they are replacing things. Um, so it's, it's, it's a work in progress. There's a lot more clean products on the market, but um, I would just go back to some of the basics like a paraben. I really think when you realize that you can absolutely preserve a product without, yeah. that would be one of the first things that I looked at on in an ingredient profile. And what is just, just because I think it's really interesting, like what is a paraben? You know what I mean? Cause also, isn't it that parabens can come up in very like different forms? Like they might be spoken about differently and, and they're in shockingly quite a number of different products, which I think, you know, it, it's sort of like, oh God, don't, you know, it's not just your mascara. It's not just this. It's not just that, you know? So just because I, I agree and parabens are something that we talk about a lot behind the scenes at Rev. So could you just give a little like brief sort of breakdown of what that is and why it's so important maybe to avoid it? So parabens is a, is a preservative, you know, and so it really just assists in preserving a product over a longer period of time. Uh, and there's different types of parabens, um, you know, methylparaben, propylparaben, etc. Um, but it is known, I should say, uh, potentially, again, you know, I, I don't like to go into um, creating dead hard facts, but it is known to be an endocrine disruptor. You know, may, basically what that means is it'll mimic, you know, uh, estrogen in the body and lead to a, a hormonal imbalance. Uh, and, and so it's used, as I said, in most products because it's an easy preservative to include. And, and that's why you'll see it in, in so many products, uh, both in beauty, but also skincare, uh, et cetera. Yeah. And I think it's really funny because I like, I'm, I'm an absolute, <laughs> I'm obsessed with sort of health and wellness podcasts. And so much of this is coming back to, to haunt us, I think in ways that we just don't quite understand the effects of yet. You know, I was listening to a podcast the other day about hormones and hormone disruptions and women being at an all time high. And, you know, they were discussing why this was happening and, and they basically just said, I mean, there are endocrine disruptors and so much, you know, like so much of what we put on our hair, our skin, our bodies. And so I think, and I just wanted to dip my toe into this question because I know it is a little bit controversial, but I'm from the States, you're living in the States. I know that Europe has sort of more legislation, but I think it's really important for people to maybe realize that these sort of chemicals aren't as regulated as we might assume that they would be given, you know, the fact that we just don't know how bad they are for us. Like to me, you know, if you, if you think lead isn't great to be putting in a product, you should just categorically not do that until it's safe. But it seems like we're moving backwards where it's like, let's just keep using it until it's proven absolutely to cause cancer or something like that. So right. can you speak a little bit to the fact of, as somebody who created a business and a makeup business, you know, like what you think of the regulation process in terms of 
where we're at today. You know, are governments doing enough to make sure that we're safe and that companies are not using bad products? Or are you thinking it's falling more on the companies and the consumers themselves to make these discoveries and leave these chemicals out? I think it's it's one of those things where, where there'll be a tipping point. You know, uh, in the EU, the, the laws are much, much stricter than they are in the US. And I think the US uh, will start catching up, you know, when the demand is high enough. It, it's typically, you know, how things happen uh, in, in, in certain areas, you know, like um, with food, et cetera. Once, you know, I, as, a, as an example, but this is sort of stepping aside from, from you know, laws put in place for, and, and regulations put in place for ingredients. But for instance, once, you know, when I moved to the States, you know, like the idea of buying organic produce, you know, what's typically happen at a corner store where you would find a few people and yourself in there and they would buy rice in bulk and, and you know, that would be uh, a, a unique store that you really would go to if this was high on your list of importance. Now you see Whole Foods as an example everywhere, yeah. you know, so it's all a, a matter of having enough demand. And certainly seeing the transition of clean ingredients uh, and clean ingredients translating into, you know, bigger companies as well. And ultimately having the demand from customers, I'm pretty sure that uh, that's going to translate into regulations starting to happen in the US as well, you know, so I think it's just when there's no demand for it, things just kind of go along um, at their own device. You know, uh, the beauty industry is, is a very big industry. It's a very powerful industry. And unless uh, that industry is, is asked, being asked to change, um, you know, it might not be as inclined to. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's something that we also talk about a lot is how much power the consumer has because, you know, in, in the world that we live in today where we're watching so many things happen around us. I mean, we're watching climate change, elections, huge, huge issues, social issues, environmental issues. And it can seem extremely overwhelming as one person to even know how to use your voice appropriately or where to start. But in terms of, you know, an individual, how important do you think it is to kind of look at your beauty routine and, and, and clean it up a little because it's funny. I always feel like it goes in terms of priority, organic food is the first step. And then when you start thinking about what you're eating and how important that is, and you don't want pesticides all over your food, you then start thinking about, oh, wow, but what about this stuff that I put on my skin every day? And then finally, I think we'll get to fashion a little bit later down the line. Yeah. But I do feel beauty is this nice sort of halfway mark. So you know, for everybody listening, what would you sort of say, you know, if you're thinking about making the transition into clean beauty, what would you say is like a good starting point to kind of inspire yourself or get you to like start looking at your makeup maybe in a different way? Yes, I think um, first and foremost, the idea that natural ingredients uh, can actually perform at the same level as what you're used to in conventional. That's 
certainly came with a lot of stigma around it. Uh, again, uh, going back to when I first started working on the line and also when it launched 10 years ago, the stigma around that the pigments weren't really having the same payoff, uh, the overall performance just wasn't up to par. And, and so that is a thing of the past. And so that's in, in our court as, as a company is to keep educating, keep educating on that that is actually not the case. Um, and so I think, you know, for somebody listening in and being interested in switching over, but having that feeling of, I'm going to have to compromise. I'm going to tell you, you don't. You really don't have to compromise. So that's uh, a starting point. Secondly, um, I would probably, you know, start with anything that I eat, anything that goes on my lips, uh, because it ends up in your system, you know, either it ends up on your glass, if it, we're talking obviously lipsticks, lip glosses, lip tints, uh, you might kiss it off or you are going to eat it, you know, so I would start there. I would also start with a foundation, you know, because it goes on the largest uh, surface on your skin. Um, and then we don't, you know, have that in the line yet, I should say. Um, but deodorants, body lotion, um, switch over to a beautiful organic oil because the skin is your largest organ. And uh, a, a year-long use of a synthetic body lotion, I, from my point of view, is, is not the best choice. And so they would, I understand that it has to be a step-by-step -step process, you know, uh, switching over your entire makeup bag is uh, an expensive undertaking, but they would be my, my top products to switch over. And then I would, you know, probably go into mascara. I've seen a lot of red eyes, runny eyes um, from, and irritated eyes from mascaras that had some harsh ingredients. You know, it's so funny. I remember speaking to another woman who was a makeup artist and she had a friend who was a plastic surgeon and he did a lot of eye lifts. And he said he was starting to see when he would cut into people's eyes, silicone, like, like remnants of silicone in their eye glands, because obviously it's not something that biodegrades silicone. So if you don't wash it off entirely, yes. you're putting it on your eyes all the time, it's getting down into people's glands. Yes. Oh boy. <laughs> that, I mean, I've, I've never heard that before, but that's a very interesting uh, observation. And, and actually, thank you for sharing that. That's, that's, that's pretty, um, that's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, cause if you think about it over the years of putting on silicone mascara every day yes. as something that's, you know, a non-biodegradable product, like, if you don't get it totally off, it go it it stays, you know, and and it absorbs. Like he's like it's, they're very small fragments, but they're there. They are, and the interesting thing is, you know, with natural ingredients, um, nature truly provides. Nature's bounty, as I like to say, is incredible, and you will be able to replicate the things that you like. In, in you know conventional makeup, the color payoff, um, that, which is the, the sort of instant payoff. But what you will see in addition 
is the long-term effect on your skin that's actually going to make your skin look great because at the end of the day it's skincare it's even beyond skincare i typically speak to what we do as skincare makeup you know because the ingredients profile is that of what i would create for a moisturizer the only difference is we add in color at the very end of a production so now it functions as makeup yet you always have that two-in-one yeah. that soothe heals conditions your skin uh, while you bought it you know for the original reason which was for the color payoff or if it's an, a foundation to cover etc yeah. and um and that for me is the main key difference in in what we do to conventional makeup yeah and I, I i can attest to that being somebody that uses your blushers and your your cream blush and your lipstick and your mascara and your eyeshadow but you know actually oh. like you know and, and it's so funny because and i've gotten my mom onto it and she is obsessed but you know i it really does feel like when you're putting it on your skin it does feel it doesn't have that you know Actually, less so when you're putting it on, when you're taking it off, I feel like at the end of the day, I don't feel like I'm like washing off all of this stuff. Like normally when you put on a lot of conventional makeup, you can't wait to get it off. Um, and I actually, I went, I mean, I'm by no means a model, but I was shot for something the other day and the makeup artist put all of this conventional makeup on me. I don't think I've had conventional makeup on my face in years. And like, I got home, my husband even commented on it. He was like, you smell weird. Like he was like, like he could, he was like, your skin smells weird. And it took me, I'm not kidding, like five washes to get this makeup off my face. And it was just, as somebody who hadn't done that in a while, it really made me remember, like, I was like, God, if you were putting this on your skin every day, I mean, that's intense that it took me five washes to get this stuff off. Um, you know, so yeah, that is intense. <laughs> so, you know, because also yeah. then there's like the finishing sprays and all this crazy mm -hmm. stuff that just glues it in place. I mean, I don't even want to know what's in those things. But um, I, I think as a, as a really, yeah. you know, more exciting and proactive conversation, you know, what are some of the ingredients that you use that that you feel really passionately about? Because I think that people would be so interested to know what these sort of more natural yet effective ingredients are that you're using that are there are healing and also doing the job so yes so i would say we use a variety so think of it i think maybe the best way to uh to take listeners into what it takes to create natural makeup uh it's it's very much similar to you know like a food recipe um, you'll have your stables yeah. and in our case, it's oils, uh, beautiful organic oils. What we use a lot is rosehip seed oil, almond seed oil, olive oil, uh, jojoba oils, just to name a few. That would be, let's say we're talking about a, a baking recipe. Your stables would always be eggs, flour, and butter. In our case, our staples is always oils, the ones, some of the ones that I just mentioned. It's butter, we use a lot of shea butter, and it's waxes. Um, and so in our case, we use something called candelilla wax, canalba wax, uh, coming from palm tree leaves, or we use beeswax. And those are the staples, more or less, 
in everything we do. And they come with a lot of benefits, you know, like they are packed with vitamins, packed with uh, fatty acids. They have vitamin A's, vitamin E's, vitamin C's, and filled with antioxidants. So a lot of the things that you expect in conventional when you say, let's say, anti-aging, uh, a lot of that comes from antioxidants. I don't particularly like the word anti-aging, but that's a whole different conversation. But it's basically just to include that what we use is a lot of the same terms that you'll hear in conventional, but this just now all comes from natural ingredients. Beyond that, um, there are some unique ingredients that the Italian manufacturer um, that we work with uh, and that I love to pieces, you know, because they are so incredibly good at what they do, um, have come up with some ingredients uh, that uh, are unique to our line. One of them is called the root of light. It's also called Diascorea batatas, but that's a little bit more complicated to yeah. say, but um, it's a root that comes from biodynamic farming and it's unique to the Carewise products. And biodynamic, when you can call something organic, it basically means that the soil has to be pesticide free for a minimum of three years. Biodynamic, uh, that whole term and uh, philosophy originates from a gentleman called Rudolf Steiner. And it really ties into how you do your farming, uh, tying it into moon cycles. So there, there's a whole sort of deeper philosophy behind it. But when you can call something biodynamic, the soil also has to be pesticide free for 10 years. So you can think of that soil as being really potent, really active. Um, and so this root, the Italians that we work with have found a way of harness the essence of it. Wow. And so that it can be infused into our products uh, in a vapor form. And what it does is um, that particular ingredient really kind of hones in on exactly what you need. And then it's hard to explain other than I have seen just a variety of benefits, you know, for a variety of conditions. In my sister's case, she's always had rosacea that has been pretty aggressive. It's completely calmed that down. Um, in my own case, I've always had, you know, some dry spots on my skin. It's alleviated that. So, and so this is just one that I highlight because I, I love it so much, but within the oils, the shea butters, uh, the waxes, you have beautiful moisturizers, you have beautiful hydrators, you know, like we use um, hyaluronic acid as well. Um, so just high active ingredients um, and very nourishing ingredients. And that's what you will see the prolonged effect of once you, you start using the products. Uh, you know, it'll actually show itself in, in the health of your skin beyond the color payoff that you get. You know, and it's really, I want to just touch upon this, this idea of organic, um, I, I mean, you, you, your ingredients, I mean, I look at so many of your products, it's like 98% organic, 99, like really high levels of organic. And why, why was that so important to you? You know, it, it's, I think we, we try to 
figure out how to connect these dots a lot here is, you know, nothing, you know, nothing in nature should be kind of harnessed without this idea. I think any more of, you know, making sure that the soil is taken care of, making sure that there is a thriving ecosystem and biodiversity in our soil because that's inevitably going to react. So do you think that certified organic um, is, is a really big piece of it for you when it comes to these ingredients? Like, do you think there's a connection between I mean, I know it sounds a bit bizarre, maybe for people kind of learning about this for the first time, but a connection between the soil and the product? Yeah, I, I definitely uh, think so. I think it's originally, you know, when starting out on this endeavor of, of creating um, Kiawais, my goal was to have a line that was all natural, no synthetics, no synthetic anything to the point where you could eat it that was truly my goal <laughs> that was uh just being able to have everything picked up from nature and and create a line with that and then it turned out along the way meeting uh the the partners we have in italy that they actually had built relationships with suppliers around the world uh of, of organic farmers so that we found out along the way that we would actually be able to not only have it be natural, but have it be certified organic. And so the difference in that is, it's similar to when you buy an apple, you know, you buy a uh, conventional apple, it's been sprayed, you know, for the ease of farming, whereas an organic apple hasn't, you know, that it, it's, it's a purer quality. And then from my point of view, it's um, it's it's a cleaner product uh, at the end of the day, and so and so it's it's similar to you know imagining you pull uh, a tree right um, an apple right off the tree you know like that the essence uh, of the quality of this the um, it's it's almost like it's still alive you know like that translates in to what you put on your face in the ingredients um that we use and so from i just love the fact that uh we have such a high amount of, of organic ingredients and the 95 we in order to get the certification and it's certified out of italy by an organization called the ccpb which is is based out of italy um and they're very strict and it has to be 95 percent uh from what can be deemed organic meaning it has to be plant-based. So there are ingredients that we use, you know, like water, minerals, those can't be deemed organic, um, but it has to be 95% out of what can be deemed organic. Okay. Um, well, yes, and I, and I think that activeness, sorry, just to finish it off, yeah, it yeah. basically translates into the performance you get on your skin. Yeah, well, exactly. It's, it's like life, you know, I mean, I, God, I heard something today, and I'm going to forget where I heard it. It might have been on um, Mark Hyman's podcast, The Doctor's Pharmacy, which is a great one mm. for you listening. But um, yeah. he had a woman on, I think, I'm sure it was from him. And, and basically, she said something like, when you walk into the average American supermarket now, you can assume that 80% of what's in that supermarket is dead. And I'm not just talking about the meat you buy. And it was so weird. It, it really brought, ironically, it really brought to life this idea of like, 
God, you're walking in and all the food is dead. It's just, it's mm -hmm. devoid of yeah. life, life and essence, which is, you know, this word I love that you've chosen to use essence. It's, it's exactly it. Um, and we've got to start realizing that, that everything is connected and, you yeah. know, any product that we buy has come from somewhere with some sort of cost to the earth. Um, yes. People making it. So I really love this idea of essence. I think it's powerful. Um, and, you know, speaking of, of life, I did want to pick up on something which I find is a really interesting debate. Um, and it's around, it's around veganism. And at Rev, we, we 100% believe in, you know, cruelty-free, we believe in mostly plant-based eating, we believe in, you know, humane treatment of all things. Um, but there's been quite, and I know you feel exactly the same way, but I know there's been quite a bit of debate within the beauty space around the idea of vegan and not vegan beauty. And I know for the most part that you guys are a very vegan line, but that you're not fully that. But I thought your explanation of why you are not was very interesting and thoughtful and a caring approach to this argument. So I'd love for you to speak to that really quickly. Yes, um, I, I mean, we use beeswax. I love beeswax. Um, it's a great emollient um, and it's, it's very beneficial for the skin. Um, and it helps again in creating these beautiful textures that we are able to have without using silicones. And so, I will continue to use that. And, and obviously we do have uh, vegan customers that I uh, wanna, you know, to accommodate everywhere we can. But beeswax to me and, and the manufacturer that we work with, uh, where we get the beeswax from, is, is a very sustainable uh, bees farm. It's, um, it's an incredible place at, at the, the bottom of the mountains um, in, in Italy. And the way they are treated is, you know, we leave, we, we don't take all the wax, you know, like basically feeding the bees so that they have for themselves as well. So having that sustainable approach to, to nurturing the bees, you know, and the quality in, in this particular wax, um, basically they are put at the top of the mountain in the summer and they come down to the base in the winter time because um, that, that gives them in, in broad stroke the best lives. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I stand by that. I love it in our ingredients. Um, and so to your point, we still you know, have quite a few of our products that don't have beeswax in them so those are vegan yeah. but um but a lot of them do and um and i you know as i said i am not against it uh, and will prefer to keep them in in the products that we have that in um you know at, at this point in time at least and do you think that it's because basically, you know, I am extremely aware of dwindling bee populations. I'm extremely aware of how incredibly, I mean, detrimental is not the word, um, fiasco, devastating, horrific <laughs> is more like the word I'm looking for if it came to the fact that we were to lose 
bees and we are losing them at an extreme rate. Um, so, so to speak to that, just for one more second, Kirsten, because I just find this such a, an interesting and compelling yeah. topic, you know, so do you think that the sustainable use of beeswax when done in this matter, in this manner, you know, with, with the utmost regard for the bees, their welfare, but also sustainable bee farming, which to be fair, mm -hmm. like, you know, who's, who's more at fault here? People doing sustainable bee farms or farmers who have nothing to do with bees, but are spreading pesticides around all yeah. the places that bees normally have been, you know, like yeah. we're not yelling at them for not being vegan, but really the pesticides are the ones that at fault yeah. here, not, not the beekeepers. No. And I think just, you know, being able to support sustainable bee farms is, is a, is a beautiful thing. Um, and, and knowing and seeing firsthand uh, the brilliant life that these bees have gives me absolute peace of mind in, in terms of using beeswax. So I think it's a, it's a very complex question, but I obviously agree with you in, in terms of the amount of pesticides that go onto conventional farming, questioning that. Um, but I prefer just to, what can I say, sort of look at what we do and standing by what we do um, and actually feeling that we are supporting um, the health of bees, if you will. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for addressing that um, and thank you for your answer. Um, so I also, I really wanna quickly touch upon this because I find it another absolutely shocking thing about the beauty industry is the amount of single use plastic packaging that um that goes along with it so you know at rev with our beauty section i have tried to curate it to be entirely plastic free there are still exceptions with some lids and some pumps things like that um but what you guys have done is quite phenomenal um and i just wanted to kind of read this out to people but i did read a statistic not so long ago that the beauty industry is responsible for nearly 80 billion pieces of single-use plastic packaging being thrown away every year mm -hmm. 80 yes. billion pieces yeah. every year yeah. um <laughs> so yeah. It's, it's almost inconceivable, but then you see plastic oceans, you hear that we have plastic now at the deepest part of the ocean, we have plastic particles coming down in our rainwater. Um, we are living on a plastic planet. Um, so you have come up with a very interesting solution to this and not just against plastic, but against waste in general. So can you speak a little bit about where the idea for your kind of unique packaging came from and, and for everybody listening who has not seen it, um, Kirsten has designed the most incredible refillable packaging that is made from, is it stainless steel, the, the compacts? It's actually an alloy of metals. Um, I'll, let you, I'll let you explain it because you're going to do yeah. it better than I am, but it's just, it's beautiful and it's practical and I'd love to hear about the story of that. Yes, I, it came from, you know, two sides uh, and, and two sort of desires when creating the packaging. On one hand side, um, I just have a, a huge love of design. I think it matters. I think it matters 
even in packaging, you know, we surround ourselves with things in life that are pleasing to our soul, our vision. And, and why wouldn't that translate into packaging? And, and so also to take the this, this stigma out of what certainly in the early 2000s was more of a natural approach to packaging in green products. And, and then tying it in with what you just described uh, and what I had seen firsthand, the amount of product that I would go through as a makeup artist, again, more product than um, uh, uh, anybody privately. But still at the end of the day, it, be, it turns into becoming quite a few uh, amounts of plastic. Uh, let's just say you go through a mascara every three to four months. So you can add up the numbers. And so wanting to having a responsible approach, really being able to do my part in not adding to the 80 billion pieces that you just described. So finding a way where you could combine that luxury design experience in your packaging, yet avoiding the, the, the sort of um, constant throw out uh, approach that we have to make up in general. So I was lucky to team up with an amazing designer in terms of collaborating on the packaging. And, um, and so a way of, of merging these two worlds became in this metal compact that uh, is not recyclable, but it is now refillable. And, um, and so in, in essence, this becomes um, you know, like a piece that you keep through life. It's meant to be forever. Uh, we typically say if it's metal, uh, you keep it forever and then you just keep refilling it. In, in, in addition to that, we have this year added another packaging option. So you can now purchase, uh, and it hasn't been translated into all our retail doors, but the idea is that this will now be a secondary way of buying into the, the product so that you can pick one that is in the metal case, or you can pick one that's created out of a paper material that is recyclable and is actually compostable. So that uh, the idea truly is to have a packaging that is sustainable, that's conscious, but that you know allows you not to compromise on having um, hopefully a sense of pride when you pull it out of your bag, you know, because it's beautiful to look at at the same time. Yeah, you know, and it, it's just really interesting because I, I feel like, you know, when I, I speak to so many incredible business people um, on Rev and all of them have sustainability at their, at their core and they're executing it in different ways, but, but, you know, speaking to you, Kirsten, it just, it just strikes me that, you know, in this moment in time when we all feel, I think I touched upon it earlier, but we're all feeling a little bit helpless. I think we're feeling like the powers that be are moving the needle for us sometimes and, and it can feel really overwhelming, but it's something I'm kind of trying to ask everybody that we get on is yeah. how do you find, you know, this sense of purpose and optimism and, you know, like what has running a sustainable business and coming up with these sort of solutions, like without sounding hokey, like how is that translated into your personal happiness and your personal, you know, sort of 
way of being because I find that that honestly some of the people that I speak to on this podcast even though they're dealing with really big issues they're some of the most you know optimistic and fulfilled and confident people that I come across in my life so I just second to last question is really that you know how do you how how have you found purpose through having a sustainable business I guess yeah um very good question i i think feeling truly that um this brand was my purpose in life uh, i i truly feel that i feel that offering um a, an alternative what was on the market in a market that was from my point of view way overdue in terms of change um, that it <clears throat> being able to showcasing that you can actually, um, you know, when you have an idea and you feel like there's a better way and being able to um, sort of fulfill that promise, uh, it's going to take stamina. And I think that's probably what you'll hear from a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, you, you stay close to your vision, but if it's tied into a purpose, it becomes this drive of wanting to see it fulfilled. Because I think if you can really imagine it, it's possible. And, um, and I think that is, that's sort of one side of the equation. And now having then launched the brand and worked on the brand for 10 years, um, there's more things that step into the picture. You know, you start getting feedback from customers that they love the product. You start seeing uh, women's faces and their joy when they jump out of the chair because they have that feeling of they've never tried makeup like this before. And I never liked to wear makeup. And now this is how it can be. I had no idea. So that becomes fuel under the long days that you spend in order to get this off the ground. And then I would say, so, so that's certainly what has kept me going. But then I think another really important piece to maintaining the stamina and to maintain the calm when you go through difficult periods, you know, and, and you go through a, a scenario like COVID, it is to cultivate your inner. Yeah. It's really to have, um, for, for me, a meditation uh, practice that I stay very close to because um, you can easily get caught up in the outside noise. But what is incredibly important is to not get caught up in reacting uh, with your response to things, but have it come from a place of thoughtfulness and you feeling that you take ownership of the decision making in, in any difficult situation. And that's where I find my strength um, and peace of mind, not to say that I always sit in peace of mind, but I do my best never to make decisions from a place where I feel, um, you know, disrupted or scattered. Uh, it has to come from a place of thoughtfulness. And, and, um, and that is, I think, one of um, the reasons why that if you feel a, a sense of sort of calm, it, it really comes from cultivating the inner. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's it's so true. And I think when you listen to most people that are entrepreneurs, they have some sort of practice like that, whether it's yoga or meditation, yes. or I, I know that yoga saves my life, um, just yes. setting aside time. And, and I think that's so true. And, you know, we... We're talking about that a lot at Rev, you know, with the social media and the cancel culture and so much disagreement and so many people so quick to say horrible things or, or you know, it's just, it's not a place of love and it's not a place of respect. And I think those are the only two things that are going to get us out of this mess. Yeah. So, yeah. so absolutely agree with you on the thoughtfulness side of things. And I think my, my closing question for you, Kirsten, is what I love about your aesthetic and and sort of the Kiervice line and the products that you guys have is they are fun and they are effective. But, you know, I think we we see now so many young women feeling the need to completely paint their faces almost to the point of being unrecognizable. Um, there are so many YouTube tutorials that are like, you, you know, you see one girl at the beginning and she is a totally different girl at the end of it. Um, and not to say that that's not fun to play with, but I think when you're kind of presenting that that is your only option as a young woman is to, to literally transform your face to that extent that you maybe lose your inner light or your inner beauty. Um, and, you know, on the flip side of that, we're seeing so much anti-aging, you know, like so many things are being sold to us to prevent wrinkles and fine lines and, you know, just, just like this insane amount of pressure to feel youthful, you know, all the way till, till you're a, an old woman. Um, it's a lot of pressure and, and a lot of pressure on women overall. And I feel like you kind of approach this a little bit differently than a lot of makeup lines do. So I'd love to just finish with your thoughts on how, how you would recommend women cultivate an inner sense of beauty and maybe an appreciation for their natural appearance. Yes. Uh, I'd love to speak to this because I, I totally agree with you. The, the, um, the images and the perception of what beauty should look like is, uh, it's, it's due for a renewal, you know, like it's, it's due for a new take uh, on what beauty actually means. You know, beauty ultimately starts on the inside. And by that, I mean with uh, the way you approach people with kindness. Um, and so I, you know, obviously that's uh, sort of a high flying thing to say, if you really love makeup and, and you like um, to, to, to maybe cover your face. I think again, I'll sort of go back to you know, what is the most important thing I feel in a person's life is to find a, um, a solid sense of self. You know, we all grow up with uh, programming. We all grow up in environments that, um, you know, will have an effect on you. And I'm not talking, there's, there's so many layers. Uh, I'm not disregarding that, you know, like a lot of uh, women and men grow up with um, harsh conditions, etc. And but some of it uh, can be really assisted in looking inwards. And that would be my biggest desire if they there were ways of assisting kids in understanding their own worth, in understanding uh, how special we all are, 
you know, maybe at a school level, because once you start chipping away at that, you know, and insecurity sets in, and we all have insecurities, you know, you find ways of looking <clears throat> at what comes at you as um, not really questioning if, if that applies to me, you know, it, it becomes a way of looking at beauty of this is what I have to look like in order to fit in, in order to feel good about myself. Um, and that translates for young women and certainly, you know, having looked at the beauty industry and, and the way it's approached aging as something very unwanted. I, as I said before, I, the idea of calling something anti-aging is, is absurd because first off, we all age. So to have it be anti is not realistic. And, and it's a way of making it sound uh, like something that we really don't want to get close to. You can extend or postpone the aging process, but that's uh, that's a, a, a different way of describing it, you know, like doing good stuff to your skin. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel like I have a responsibility. I, I don't have a platform where I can speak to the importance per se, or maybe I hope one day I do, uh, to the importance of learning to um, love yourself and finding uh, strength on the inside because that will assist you in not following a herd mentality. But what I can do right now is showcase diversity in beauty. And, and I feel a huge responsibility to do that, you know, from different ethnicities, um, <clears throat> different types of beauty. Yeah. And, and one of the things that we are adding in that I feel that we still have a ways to go is adding in more mature women in all the content that we do. So that's something we're diving into uh, in, our, in our new campaign, etc. Because beauty really is um, a much, much broader perspective uh, than we are currently fed. And, I, and as I uh, one of my big goals is to have that translate in the content uh, that we showcase and hopefully have customers feel that they are welcome uh, into our our brand. Yeah, well, that's beautiful. Thank you. You should get my mom to model for you. She has all your products. <laughs> I would love to. I would love to. Is she in New York? And, and I'll I send her down here from up. Spain. <laughs> oh my God, yes. Um, you know, and it's interesting, it's just to, to finish with, with saying that, you know, I'll to bring it full circle. Um, I'll have to send my mom this episode because I'm going to reference her a lot. But, you know, she, she is 65. She only eats like, you know, organic local food. She's gone to the farmer's market my whole life. She's never gotten any work done. She hardly has a skincare routine except for all natural things, your makeup. And she's got wrinkles and she embraces them and she laughs a lot and she doesn't try to hide anything. And she is one of the most naturally beautiful women I know. And I think that there is something, you know, I wish that I could share that sort of um, yes. knowledge that she's given me, which also, you know, she was like, you know, you're very much as to what you said. She was like, you know, don't depend on the way you look, go create goodness in the world and destroy yes. to people and, and everything else is secondary to that. And um, 
you're right. Like there's, a, we need a platform that's dedicated solely to this part of the conversation. No, we do. We do. Cause it's, uh, it starts with the way we grow up hands down. You know, what are you, what are you fed? And, um, and so that's a much broader, you know, conversation to your point, but I salute your mom because, yeah. uh, you know, having, you know, somebody stand up for you when you are a young child showcasing that beauty is much, much more than it's perceived to be. That's a huge gift. That's a huge gift. I'd love to meet your mom, by the way. So, uh, <laughs> all right, so, well, I'll get her. I'll get her. I'm so inspired her. by that. Yeah. So thank you for sharing. No, of course. Well, thank you so much, Kirsten. This was a, a beautiful conversation and I can't wait to bring thank it to you. our community. And um, everybody, you can find Kirvice on Revolver. We'll link everything down and so you can explore these beautiful products. And, and thank you, Kirsten, and stay really well. Thank you so much, Cora. Thank you for having us on Rev. Thank you for having me talk to you. Uh, I've truly enjoyed our conversation and, and it's, as I said in the beginning, it's an honor. So thank you. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> <laughs>